This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for watching, those of you who are. Um, I am so excited because today I am joined by Andrew Peterson, who is a, uh, I almost said the word legend almost came out of my mouth, Andrew, but you are a just, you are creative, you are a musician, you are an author, you are someone who um, I think embodies what it means to be an artist, particularly in the year 2022. Um, and I'm also joined by Mike Handler, who is also creative and an artist um, and happens to be working as the chief communication officer at Awana. So welcome both of you to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to be here as well. And that sounded like pandering a little bit for me, Ross, but that's all right. Thanks. Yeah, we, I appreciate we'll, it. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Um, so, uh, Andrew, I just want to jump right in, man, because I think one of the things that I find most uh, inspiring about your work you know, and I just alluded to that is not only are you a musician, not only are you an author, not only are you someone who I would love to talk more about the rabbit room, which is this community that you've created that cultivates and curates stories, music, and art to nourish Christ-centered communities for the life of the world. Um, you're also a speaker of the 2022 Child Discipleship Forum that uh, uh, Mike and I will you know, be able to talk a little bit more about, but I want to start by asking a lot of people probably became familiar with your work who are listening because during COVID, you did a reading of the Wingfeather Saga, which is one of, my understanding, one of the series of your books. And uh, a lot of people saw it. But you were someone who has been this uh, traveling musician, and you've been all over the country, probably all over the world. And then the world stopped, and you were wound up being at home. And I'm just curious, you know, what was your experience, you know, now that COVID is in the rear mirror for a lot of people, going from your what your ministry looked like before to what your ministry had to look like during those couple of years yeah that's a good question i um i i have to say this very carefully because the whole covid lockdown thing was really really tough on a lot of people yeah and um and i know some of those people and it, it was very tough uh, my experience of it though was um it was one of the greatest gifts of my whole adult life. Like I, I have been touring since I was, I mean, man, I graduated high school and hit the road with a band and, uh, for a year and then, you know, took a break for college. But while I was in college, I started writing my own songs, toured, you know, my last two years in college, as soon as I got out of college, moved to Nashville. And that was 25 years ago and I've been doing music ever since. And so there's a lot, that's a lot of gate, areas and a lot of airports and a lot of <laughs> truck stops, you know, yeah. a lot of <laughs> uh, airports. Yeah. Yeah, man. And so, uh, because of the fact that I, I don't just do music, you know, I do music and I, I write books and I am a part of this, this, um, Robert room ministry and we're working on the wing feather movie thing. And uh, so there's a lot of, a lot going on. And so I have been so stressed for years, like just, mm -hmm asking myself over and over, how did I get myself into this situation? There's so many things going on. I've got these three amazing adult children who I want to be around. I want to see them. I love my property and my church and my community. And, and I just found myself praying earnestly in 2019 for a sabbatical. And I was just like, Lord, I've got to take a break and I don't know how to do it. Uh, and you know, it's funny, I'm a pastor's kid. And I, I watched my dad in, as the you know pastor of a small church uh, do everything. And it was hard. Like I just watched how hard he worked and I was like, I am never going to go into the ministry. And then I went into the ministry and then I was like, but I'm never going to let that happen. Mm. And then 
here I am, you know? So, so when I, I remember we were in England, um, doing a tour and with, with my little band and, uh, just having a great time when, when rumors started popping up on everybody's phones, things are getting crazy. And then we found out one day that they were closing the borders in 48 hours. And, and my manager was like, if you don't get on a plane soon, you might get stuck there, which to be fair, I thought about how nice it would be to be stuck in England for, yeah, there are worse places to be sure. <laughs> yeah. But my, obviously I, I was like, I got to get home to my family. And, yeah. and we came home and man to have, a pretty much a solid year of being told you cannot do shows. You've got to stay home was about the only way it was ever going to happen. And I think I've never been more healthy. I've never been more spiritually healthy or I've never had such a great, easy relationship with my community and my family. I just loved it. Yeah. And, uh, and so the, the rub is that now that things are getting back to normal, I feel like they're making up for lost time. You guys feeling that? Oh yeah, like totally. Things feel busier than they were before. Totally. And I don't know if that's actually what's happening or if it just feels that way, but man, I'm just like, Lord, how do I recover some of the Sabbath rest that I experienced? I, I it was like a wake up call to make me realize this is not the way we were meant to live. Yeah. This constant motion, this constant American productivity, this thing, you know? And so I'm to be very honest with you, I've, I'm still in a weird, like, uh, praying a lot about it, seeking a lot of wisdom from people to figure out how, how to slow down. And I don't know how yet. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Yeah. No, you know, Andrew, yeah, I think that you, you said something in there, you're, you said a lot of things in there that uh, resonate, I think with, with a good deal of people. And that's the fact that COVID forced us to slow down and it forced us to kind of remember place and in your writing, in your, in your music, there is such a great um, understanding, I believe, that you put out there regarding place, regarding home, regarding these, uh, these like sacred um, musings almost, if you will. And can you talk to us about that a little bit? You mentioned even in your intro to yourself, your self-intro, right? You love your, you love your home. You love your community. I know that uh, for those who are listening, who, who know you are watching, you know, you talk often about your property, your, your trees, in fact many of your books, um, your more recent books talk about that too, right? You've got, you've got this kind of, uh, this sense of place. Can you tell us, especially as it relates to the parents who are with us or, or those who work with kids, tell us about that kind of almost doctrine, if you will, of place from your point of view. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm not super good at it as I have made clear um but i you know i've been just i have i'm you know in the lord of the rings that the the hobbits would talk about their tookishness mm -hmm. you know this yeah, like yeah. wander wanderlust that they have to go see the world mountains gandalf you know i've got i've got a a big chunk of that in me like i really yeah. do i love the adventure the older i've gotten though the more that i've i've just been like you know what i'm i'm uh you know i've occasionally get invitations to go play somewhere really far away i got like an invitation to play in dubai <laughs> of all wow. places recently which is a place that needs the gospel you know and i was just yeah. like i can't do it i gotta be home there's just like but 20 years ago i would have jumped at the chance yeah. just anything for the adventure you know and now i'm i'm realizing the more that i get older that i just you know paul yeah i forget which letter where he talks about um seek to live a quiet and work with your hands, aspire to live yeah. a quiet life, you know, that kind of thing that, that is resonating more and more with me as I get older. Part of it is, is, uh, having encountered the work of Wendell Berry, 
Yep. Um, the poet and the essayist and the novelist. And I read Jaber Crow, this wonderful novel about a town barber. And, and, you know, if I had to summarize Wendell Berry's like main thesis of his whole career, it's been, he's pushing back at the lie that the only way to be happy is to be somewhere else. Yeah. Hmm. And I think so many of us have that constant fear, that nagging feeling. It's like fear of missing out. It's like, man, if, you know, this house is fine, but gosh, if I could live in a house like my neighbor's house over there, or if I could yeah. live in this state or whatever. And once we got to Nashville um, and I read Jaber Crow, I read that book and I started telling my wife, like, I just want, I want to at least move to a place where we have a fighting chance of staying there for the rest of our lives. Mm. Like God can do what he wants. He can direct us elsewhere. But like, I didn't want to live in this weird transitory phase where I'm like, well, we're just living in this house till it appreciates and we sell it and we get a bigger one, whatever. Right. And so when we found this little piece of property, um, I talked her into it and it turns out to have been one of the greatest things we ever did as a family. Mm. Um, I feel like I have learned so much about the heart of God um, from, mm. from, okay. So uh, from living here, there's a, there's a great poem by a poet named Jeannie uh, Walker Murray, Jeannie mm. Murray Walker. Is that her name? Anyway, uh, she's great. She's like a contemporary of Lucy Shaw and, and Madeline okay. Engel. And, uh, um, and she, but it's this poem about Adam and Eve. And it talks about how Adam is looking at Eve and kind of, he's kind of annoyed at the name she gave the, the emu or something, you know, like, <laughs> and, and he's kind of like, not quite sure that he's super pumped about this person that, yeah. He's stuck with right and at the end she paints this beautiful picture of how there's a lightning flashes and she comes running to him and he holds her in the storm mm -hmm. and he begins the long work of learning to love what he's been given that's good that last line the long work of learning to love what you've been given and man that there is so much gospel wisdom in that you know yeah i think a lot of marriages have probably fallen apart because um people uh, sometimes don't know that, that, uh, that hard work of learning yeah. to love what you've been given, not, which isn't to say that, you know, there's not marriage is incredibly complicated, but, but I, I just know that I wanted to know what that was like. And, yeah. and I wanted my kids to know it, you know? So we kind of raised our kids with this idea that, Hey, we're going to take care of this place. We're going to mm -hmm. pretend like this little chunk of land on the planet is, is a place where God has given, that God has given us a steward, and to, to do our best job of trying to build what it, what we think the new creation is going to look like one day. It's good. And to kind of like shape this place to, to make it look like our best guess yeah. of where, where this whole story is headed. That's good. Well, homes are such a place of hospitality and belonging too, right? I mean, it's uh, for those who, you know, no one's keeping up with Mike Handler's life, but we're moving right now. So like I'm sitting in the midst of a very kind of empty space here and um there is something to be said about the what that sense of home can provide um mm -hmm. andrew I'm, I'm just curious you know as as you're you know have adult children now you've probably done a lot of time reflecting you've done a lot of probably interior work uh as you see your kids come into their adult lives but you know growing up as a preacher's kid seeing your dad do the hard things of ministry, there was certainly a sense of, of place there, you know, for those who are serving their community as pastors or whatever the role is in their local church, there's often that sense of, of place, maybe not as well expressed as you put it there, that God gave you this thing in order to kind of create what that new heaven, new earth experience might be like. But 
But what is it like when people come over? Uh, this isn't a weird way that Ross and I are fishing for an invitation, uh, but Ross makes a great blondie. So if you didn't want that. Um, great. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but um, but I mean, like to, to be able to welcome people into your place to maybe even, you know, friends of kids that you may have had uh, who were experienced yeah. in less than ideal parts of life or whatever it might be. Yeah, uh, well, we were, Jamie and I both just, do you remember when you were growing up, there was like the cool house that always had yes. good snacks? Absolutely. And we were just like, no matter what, we're going to be the cool house. Like, we just want to make sure that the kids always know they can bring their friends over at the drop of a hat. And Jamie is one of her spiritual gifts is hospitality. Like she That's is good. so good. She, like her priorities are just always convicting me because I'm kind of like, what's the next thing? What are we going to do? If there's a yeah. lull in conversation, I kind of get anxious and she will sit and shoot the breeze for days. Like she just stops what she's doing, hangs out with the kids, you know, and, uh, and yeah, guys, you know, sometimes we, we want to be playing darts. We want to be doing something. Yeah. There's gotta be some she's, activity, right? We can't just be. Yeah. yeah. So she's always been like good at the hang and, uh, and has taught me a lot about that. So our kids have kind of inherited that from her. So like they come and they're just like not in a hurry. They'll hang out for hours on end. One of the little accidental things that we did was we, uh, we homeschooled our kids. So there was a bedtimes weren't super rigid, mm. um, in a, in a great way. And so we would always pray at night, like after we'd watched a movie or whatever, we would pray. And our Apple TV at the time was set up to have a slideshow of family oh, photos, yeah. you know? And so we would say, amen, and look up from the prayer and see a picture of like our last year's family vacation. And the kids would be like, oh, that was fun when we did that. And they knew that if they could keep us talking, that they could stay up. <laughs> <laughs> and so it would be midnight sometimes. And we would still be sitting up there talking. And that was so much more important than them getting a good night's sleep, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that that culture that Jamie has really brought into our, our home is, is something that I see happen. She always has a candle burning mm. um, in case somebody drops in. She wants the house to smell good. Little things like that. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we try. I mean, we prayed when we moved to this place. There's a gravel driveway, you know, to get up here. We prayed that people would sense God's peace whenever mm. their tires hit the, the gravel drive. Very literally, like specifically, we prayed that thing. And it's been so crazy because over the 15 years we've lived here, people will say, man, as soon as my tires hit that gravel drive, I just feel a sense of peace. So I, I, I think that, I don't know what it's like. You'd have to ask somebody who comes over to our house. But, but I, do, I do feel like part, in large part because Jamie, uh, Jamie is so good at it. Like it, um, it, uh, we have tried to think of our home as a place that is an outpost of the kingdom of God. And so that's not always super convenient, you know, yeah. there's, there's plenty, plenty of times when it's like, Ooh, man, I just wish we had a night to just chill out. Yeah. Um, but man, it's a, it's a rich way to live. It's good. That's good. I want to jump off that because I think one of the things that resonates so much with your work, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and she said that, uh, your music has a tethering effect on her heart, reminding her of the bigger story. We all are, we are all are a part of mm -hmm. And, and I think it's true in your writing, uh, her daughter was responding to your writing in a very similar way. And the, the fact is you were able to communicate the depth, some of the beauty of what you're just describing with Mike there. Um, but you have this almost childlike in the best way, wonder quality to your work. There's a stillness in how you, how you describe things that I think it becomes so easy as adults and especially as guys to, to lose track of, become cynical, become rushed in all that we're doing 
And I, you know, you're obviously, you're a human being, you're not perfect at it, but like, how do you clue back in to that childlike wonder? Because it's so easy for us to wind up like taking it for granted the beauty and majesty of all that God is. But I know for so many of our listeners, you know, they're working with kids every day. They should be quote unquote, (laughs) like really in this childlike wonder thing should be really easy for them. And I know it's not like, how do you practically reconnect with the father? Man, that is a good question. Um, man, I, part of it is just how, like my, how I'm wired. Like I, <clears throat> I just, I'm interested in a lot of things and, and, uh, I tend to, you know, get some wild hair and I'll just chase it. You know, I was like, I wonder what it's like to make pizza dough, you know? So I'll go, I, I think it was funny during COVID I learned how to make pizza dough so we could have like family pizza nights, you know? Yeah. And we went to the store and the guy was like, what's everybody doing with all this flour? You know, we're, we're sold out of flour. Why? It was like something in, 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 our, in the human race woke up and said, I must learn to make sourdough bread. Yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> but I, uh, I don't know, like that kind of is what got me into beekeeping. It's like a, it's like a way of following your nose. Like I just, uh, I'm, I'm curious enough to where like, uh, I tend to let one thing lead me to another. Like that's how I'm with books. Like I remember reading C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis mentioned George McDonald. And I was like, I yeah. wonder what, who that guy is. And I went and found George McDonald and that led me to so-and-so. And so it's kind of like, I think life is kind of the same way, but in, in many ways, it's like the place that you are in um, suggests to you the next thing. And so, uh, you know, I'm, we moved here and I immediately started planting vegetables. I don't I actually don't do many vegetables anymore because they're so the deer eat them all, whatever the bugs get them. But flowers are a blast and flowers are like, they feel more generous to me somehow. Uh, but that, that led me to beekeeping. Um, and so like, um, I don't know if I'm, if I'm necessarily trying to do it. I just am, uh, I don't know the world that God made is just amazing. And, uh, I try to, I was just telling my friend, my, my buddy on the road last night on the way home from the show, uh, the moon was full last night. I don't know if you guys saw it, it was beautiful. And, uh, and I was telling him about <laughs> one time when I was sitting on the front porch with my son, Aiden, when he was like six and I, we were looking at the moon. I was like, isn't it crazy that the moon is in space and his jaw dropped and he goes, wait a second, the moon is in space. And I looked up and I was like, whoa, the moon is in space. Was like, <laughs> it was kind of this hilarious, like unfolding realization where I was like, I was point, I was the father pointing it out to him, but his boyishness. Yeah. kind of realize what a wonder that is and then to think that the the moon, the moon that the bible talks about is the same one we get to look at it's kind of like mm. it's like a movie star floating around in the sky it's like oh you're yeah. that character from that psalm you know uh i don't know i i don't know how to cultivate it i just think it's a good thing to do um yeah. just try to be curious about life i think reading gk chesterton is a good way to start I mean, he was just like a big kid walking yeah. around the world. You know, he loved to draw, find something that you like to do that gets your hands dirty. And I think that, that you'll probably follow your nose into wonder. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. The Resilient Disciples podcast is a conversation dedicated to anyone who cares about the future of the faith. I'm Ross Cochran, and each week I'm joined by leaders and experts from within the world of children's ministry, as well as thought leaders and experts from outside the church. We believe that this generation of kids can be the greatest generation of disciples this world has ever seen, but they need loving, caring adults like you to help make that happen. 
New episodes drop every Thursday. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It, it is such a temptation sometimes to put all that stuff behind, right? In the mm-hmm. almost in a Peter Pan type of way, like growing up, leaving the nursery, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But how have you done that even with your own kids? If we could ask, uh, you know, Andrew, the dad, uh, you know, how, how, how did you help them slow down not to be swept up in all of the stuff, if you will? And I know that, you know, they're in their 20s now or they're, you know, mm-hmm. they're young adults, adults, if you will. But like, how, do, what's, how did you guys, how did you and Jamie stem the tide of just the pervasiveness of, of media, technology, it's not all mm. bad to be sure. Yeah. We're sure. able to do this because of this, but yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, that, that I wish they were here. So you could ask them that question. I would be so curious to know. What well, Andrew, thought. you may not know it, but they're right now. Yeah. yeah oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that would be so fun. I would be delighted, but, uh, but no, that, so we try not to be super rigid about that kind of thing. We, we were rigid about video games. We, we, yeah. um, Man, when I was a kid, Nintendo was like the greatest thing in the world. You know, the, the original, right? Yep, yep, and, yep. Uh, and Blowing the cartridge, so make sure that it's working. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. But I also remember, uh, man, playing GoldenEye when N64 was a thing. Yeah. So it's like video games aren't inherently evil. They can be super fun if they're something that connects you with other people. Right. Um, but we just, we, we decided that um, rather than saying we would never have video games, we would say, hey, yeah, we can have a video game but it, it is your Saturday morning cartoons. Like yeah, don't even ask good. if you can play the rest of the week, but you don't have to ask on Saturday morning, like get up that's and good. play all you want. And if it's raining outside, you know, you can, you can order. But it was, so we just had these like nice little boundaries that, that kept us from having to say no constantly. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it demonstrated to them that these things have their place. You know, they, they need to be put aside. We, we plug our phone in, not by the bed, but in another room uh, at yeah. night, you know, so that, it just little little moves like that. I think I got that from Andy Crouch. Um, yeah. The moves like that that kind of like remind you in your body that technology isn't the boss of you. Um, and we tried to cultivate that in our kids. But I would say the main thing is just that like our kids had the tremendous blessing of growing up in a very artistic community. Like mm. it, I mean, not only an artistic community, a, a, a community of like believing Christians who are also artists. Right. And so people who like a lot of the people that they were big fans of musically, and they would listen to their records or whatever, we would see them at church on a Sunday, you know, and they would, they would receive communion next to this person that they'd seen doing it. So they, they, they never had that weird, like disintegration of, of kind of the artistic pursuits and the gospel. Like those things were always lived in the same space for them. And so the cool thing is all three of our kids are involved in the arts in one way or another. And they're also all involved in the ministry in one way or another. Like Asher is a great record producer and um, road manager, drummer. And so he's running sound for the Grey Havens here, or he's producing a record by this Christian artist here. Not always Christian artists, but like Aiden's like, you know, illustrating books about the gospel, Sky's traveling and doing music. So they, they have this really healthy um, permission from from a very early age that the things that lit them up like the things that produced in them a kind of wonder were absolutely a, a part of the the participation of building the kingdom of god you know um and so it was all mixed in together it was all in a, yeah. in a wonderful messy jumble and so i i think that uh that's the best thing i would say is that they just 
the church was never for them as far as i know uh, seen as this like really stodgy thing like i'm sure they fell asleep in plenty of church services but <laughs> but i should say christianity was never seen as a stodgy thing christianity was a source of wonder and hospitality and generosity and and great art um you know like our kids christian christian art gets a bad rap sometimes and justifiably so sometimes mm -hmm. um but man there's also amazing art by christians and so we tried to draw our kids attention to the to the great works you know um and to show them that like there you know there's a way to do this without you know having to resort to propaganda you can you can make good art and so i think that they they kind of like i don't think that they could articulate it at this point necessarily but they do it you know yeah. it's 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 the water they swam in growing up well one of the things that's so clear about that is you you as an artist you make a lot of stuff right you are in this position where you are creating not only just a lot of different you know you've made over i think 15 albums or 10 albums something like that like you have this book series you have a movie deal coming like you you're making a lot of stuff and it reminds me a lot of the i'll say struggle that our listeners have of like just trying to make it to a sunday you know because mm -hmm. you are making all this stuff that i think if you get off track could easily become about like let me make this thing for notoriety or let me make this thing mm -hmm. for the public wants, but you're making art and ministry that resonates with you clearly and deeply. I'm curious how you stay connected to that, you know, your mission and the impact of what you do rather than just the methodology of the stuff you make. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is going to sound trite, but going to church every Sunday is part of it. It's, it's like being, reminded of the truths of the gospel on a regular basis um taking seriously uh, christian friendship you know it's one of the greatest things in the world um i uh but at the same time i would just say that like man my motives are not always pure um they haven't been when i look back at my my 25 year old self i'm just like gosh what a knucklehead that guy was like i was so i i was a i was always scared like when I see pictures of myself with two toddlers and my wife standing in front of a, a van that we were like driving across America and to go do a concert for a love offering, you know, <laughs> um, we were, I was, I was terrified so much of the time that like part of the reason that I kept cranking out songs and music and started working on the books was like, I got to feed my family. And I'm, I'm so scared that if I stop, it's not going to happen, mm -hmm. which man, that as if I am, the ultimate provider of my family, you know? Right. Um, and, and I also see in myself plenty of ambition, plenty of like, I want to be somebody, you know, like I was connected way much too much of my identity to what I was making. And so the, the, that's the bad news. The good news is the Lord redeems all that stuff. Like, so I think sometimes we put this pressure on ourselves to, to, like you said, stay connected or to like, like, um, like Christian practices are a good thing. Discipleship is a good thing, all that. But like, ultimately, you're never going to have perfect motives. You're never going to get this right. You are an, a sinner. Right. And thank goodness God does, isn't waiting around for us to do it perfectly for him to, to inhabit the work that we're doing. You know, like he just, somebody last night at this q and I was a part of was like asking about um, what we do with the fact that some of the greatest works of art by people like Mozart were made by people who were so such scoundrels. Hmm. And, uh, and, and I was kind of like, that's true, but man, I'm a scoundrel. <laughs> You're a scoundrel. Thank good. Like 
just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're, you, you've got it all in line. So like, I mean, God has never once stopped speaking through broken people and people whose motives are wrong. And so a lot of times I think we can get kind of hung up on that so much that we talk ourselves out of doing the thing, you know? Mm. Um, and for example, I think I had this in one of my books, like straight in front of me, my neighbor lives on the hill and uh, he's got this this swath of grass that he has to mow all the time. And and uh, and I knew that they had a funeral they were, or they were having a reception for a funeral at their house. And I noticed that his grass wasn't mowed. And I was like, man, I should just go mow his grass today. And I was like, oh, man, but I would be doing that to make him think that I was like this great guy. And uh, and after like, you know, deliberating for like five minutes, I realized that I had almost talked myself out of doing a kind thing for my neighbor because I was wanting my motives to be pure. And so I finally was like, forget it. I'm just going to go mow the guy's yard. So I went and mowed it. And man, I, I had mowed. I've never mowed with such moral superiority. I was just like... <laughs> Is any does anyone see what a kind neighbor I am? Look how the grass over here, more the grass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and but the point is the grass got mowed, right? And yeah. my neighbor came over and he was like, Thank you so much for doing that. And then the Lord sorts out all that stuff mm-hmm. messing your heart on his own. But go do the thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so the doing is is I guess my answer to that question is like if you want to stay connected to the work of the Holy Spirit, he's a doer, right? Yeah. Um he also is a comforter and there's a rest there. So, but there's a kind of doing that is necessary in order to force yourself to rest. Yeah. And so um, actually taking the step to change little bits of your life in order to, to uh, walk in his ways and delight in his will. That that's, that's the thing. Um, I'm reading James right now. I don't know if it sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, Andrew, and uh, forgive Everybody, I'm just asking for permission that my dog is chewing a bone right in the middle of the living room here where I'm at. Uh, again, moving, short on space. So mm-hmm. if you hear a clunk, that's happening. Yeah, it's um, not me chewing the bone. I appreciate <laughs> you qualifying that. Handler's yeah. But, uh, but you mentioned, you mentioned Lewis, you mentioned McDonald, you mentioned um, Chesterton, amazing authors. You yourself and Wendell Berry, of course, you yourself uh, were, were moved or we're led to through the spirit to write, you know, young adult fiction. Tell us, tell us what brought on the the desire and the discipline, because you could have a great idea, but you as well as anybody else knows, you know, to follow up that great idea with actually getting it done. It's just like, it takes work. It, it, the creativity doesn't just always freely flow, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah. that being said, tell us, tell us what, what led you to, to take on the wing feather saga and, and what keeps you going? Cause making, you know, the animated picture, that's, that's laborious at times. <laughs> you have no idea. It is so <laughs> much more work than I ever thought it would be. It's, and it's amazing. It's so much fun. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, part of that answer was what I said before is I was just scared. And I, I was yeah. just like, I gotta, I got, I remember having the thought it was around the time my second label album came out and I'd been on the road a lot. And I'd always wanted to write a book anyway, and uh, loved to read adventure stories when I was a kid, hmm. and even even now. And uh, and I was just like, in the same way that like when I heard songs that I really loved, I wanted to know what it was like to write a song. You know, hmm. I'd le- I'd learn the song, and then I'd be like, okay, so somebody wrote this. How did they do that? And then I would kind of, you know, look under the hood of the car to figure out like how this engine works. You know, and so I think the same was true of writing. I just carried in me this desire to know what it was like to to get to the other side of a big story and uh and so yeah part of it was me going um 
I don't know that I, it's hard to picture myself as a 65 year old grandpa dragging my guitar through an airport to go do a show. Right. But it is not hard to imagine myself as a grandpa who writes fairy tales. That's you know? good. And so I was like, I think I would like to begin investing in this part of my curiosity so that one day maybe I could, if I get tired of music, I can, I can just focus on the books. And so I, to my great surprise, the books have done uh, well, and I love it. I, in fact, that's part of the source of the struggle right now is that um, as much as I love doing concerts and traveling, um, man, the, when you're writing a book, you get to have lunch with your wife, you know, <laughs> it's a ton of work, but you don't have to leave home to do it. And so, right. uh, so I'm, I'm wrestling with that right now. So anyway, I, I just, I mean, I wanted my kids to have a story, you know, I, that was part of it. Uh, I also, we read a lot as a family and I, I couldn't quite find exactly the kind of book that I wanted to. I was like, man, I just, I had read the Narnia books. Lord of the Rings is a little, in my opinion, not a great read aloud for little kids. And, uh, and there wasn't a whole lot of else out there, you know, and sure. we read a couple of Indy Wilson books and whatever we went down, Watership Down was a great one. Um, but then I was just like, man, I just, I want to write a book that will encourage families to sit around together and read a big story together. Um, and, uh, that's why the chapters are so short. Um, because any, any parent who's tried to read like Harry Potter or whatever, it's like, good grief. This is a 55 page chapter. It's the worst, you know? Yep. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, that was, that was a big part of it. And also I just believe that stories are one of the ways that God surprises us with the truth. And, um, I wanted to see what would happen if I sat down without a hard agenda and write a story as a Christian and see what happened. And, um, and there you go. I have to ask, I, I want to talk about the child deception forum. I want to talk about uh, the rabbit room, but where did the idea of sneaky book signings come from? I think that's hilarious <laughs> to see you uh, do that. I don't know. I, we may have to cut this out of the podcast. I don't know if you're even allowed to talk about it, but no, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> the, no, I started, I got the idea from Neil Gaiman. You know who that is, Neil Gaiman? He's the guy that wrote like the Graveyard Book and Coraline. He's a fantasy okay. novelist. Um, and uh, but yeah, I followed him on Twitter or on Instagram for a minute, and he he would do that. He would kind of like pop in, and some some visual artists will do that. They like they like draw doodles and stick them in the pages of books that they've written, and then Instagram That's it so that you can find it. So, yeah. So yeah. if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's links in the show notes wherever you're listening or watching to Andrew's website uh, and his social channels, and he does secret book signings. So go find Andrew. Yeah. Books. So find his signature in there. If, if I'm in a random city and I could find my books in like a Barnes and Noble or something, I'll, I'll just, I used to ask permission and now I don't, I just go do it. That's um, hilarious. That's pretty, it appeals um, to the pastor's kid in me. <laughs> um, so I want to ask about the rabbit room because one of the things yeah. that I think is really compelling about what you're doing with the rabbit room is it mirrors a lot of the conversations happen with child deception form. So mm -hmm. at the, at the CDF, uh, people are going to be able to experience belonging, right? Belonging with other leaders who are committed to the mission of child discipleship, like you are, and are trying to figure out what that looks like in the year 2022. And I would imagine one of the driving factors behind the creation of the rabbit room was simply to create that community kind of feel, or is that a fair summary? I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this famous C.S. Lewis quote where he talks about how friendship is born in that moment when you one person says to another oh you too i thought i was the only one 
Right. And, uh, and I think that the people who make up the constituency of like the rabbit room members who kind of, they keep the gas in the engine. Um, it's people who just carried around in them this, like maybe secret loneliness, this feeling that, you know, they couldn't find anybody else who loved stories the way that they did or movies or poetry or felt like there wasn't, um, anybody in their immediate community that where they could, uh, really talk about some of these ideas, the way that, that God uses stories. And, uh, and so that was how it started. And, um, and that was 16 years ago and it's grown into this beautiful thing where we have a conference every year. We publish like 40 books at this point and, and we keep scanning the horizon for, for people who are doing the kind of work that we love. Right. Mm. Like, um, when people say they don't like Christian books, I just want to be like, Oh, you're just reading the wrong kind of Christian books. Like, (laughs) There, there are great Christian books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or they don't like Christian music. I'm like, oh, have I got music for you? Because, man, there's so many people kind of like in between the cracks. You know, there's an author that I love who calls them borderlanders. Um, uh, this idea that there are people who, you know, they're never going to be huge over here. They're, they're too Christian for the mainstream. They're too not, not CCM enough for the Christian world. And so the rabbit room kind of one of the things that we do is to try to draw attention to good and beautiful and excellent work. That's, that's often overlooked. And, um, and we have noticed that a byproduct of that kind of activity is community that Mm. people tend to gather around good work. And, uh, and it's just been a, a source of friendship and solidarity and, and a lot of wonderful things have been put into the world because of this amazing ministry. It really has. And I would highly encourage people to check out the show notes, Andrew's website. You can learn more about the rabbit room. Also the you're on the resurrection, the resurrection letters tour. Now, uh, the God of the garden is on out now. Like I want to sort of wrap things up where we started, which is you are someone who has, um, created to use a business term, like a very diverse creative portfolio. And mm-hmm. I find that so compelling because I think people who try to do that often experience mission drift. You often wind up sort of experiencing like, oh, actually this isn't quite as true to who I am as a creator or true to the ministry. And all of, despite the diversity of the platforms you use, it all clearly stems back to some of the stuff Mike was talking about earlier and your connection uh, to place, your connection to God um, through that. The last thing I want to ask specifically is you are a faculty member of the Child Discipleship Forum. I'm really excited for people who are still listening, who have, you know, are still listening to the podcast, right? You guys are some of our uh, most avid fans and I appreciate it. But why is the conversation for child discipleship so critical for you right now in the ministry, in the work that you do? You are someone who speaks at a lot of conferences. You play a lot of venues and you're coming to the CDF and I would just, that clearly yeah. matters to you. And why would you, how would you articulate why? Well, it's funny. I was just yesterday, I was speaking at um, a conference, the summit ministries. I don't know if you know summit and uh, I was speaking and it was a bunch of high school kids and somebody asked me if I was intimidated by high schoolers. And I used to be like super intimidated by young people. Old okay. people were easier for me, but now it's kind of changed. I get kind of excited about it because one of the things that I realized is that um, you know, this, this lecture I'm about to give might be the first time that these, some of these kids have ever heard this amazing idea that I got from C.S. Lewis, right? Like so many of us, <laughs> when you talk to, when you talk to grownups, you'll, you'll like, you can see people nodding because, you know, they've read those books, they've read the quotes, they kind of know, they've heard the sermon and man, to be in a room full of people who uh, haven't yet 
uh, heard anybody articulate the gospel in exactly this way is really exciting to me. You know, I used to be nervous about it, but, um, you know, there's a, a quote in Adorning the Dark that I got from um, George McDonald where he, he suggests this beautiful idea that God has this secret chamber in his heart that is reserved for each of us, that there's an Andrew chamber in the heart of God where nobody else gets to come. It's just me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have this unique relationship with God. God. And, and I think that's true. It's like I have a unique relationship with each of my kids, even though I love them each exactly as much. Um, and so McDonald says, you know, this is what we were called to. We, we were, we're here to make known the secret things of the Father. Yeah. So all I have to do is go and tell them about what my relationship with Jesus is like. And, and, uh, and there will be something in there that they've probably never heard from anybody else. And I think that's so exciting. Well, we do too. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for the time, man. Can't wait to uh, shake your hand and meet you in September, uh, whether you're joining us online or in person. Uh, really, really grateful uh, for the time, for your ministry. Uh, and thanks so much just for hanging out, dude. It was really nice. Yeah, to man. You. Great to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient child disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from the conversation as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by me, Marlon Washington, and hosted by Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from the album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.